Perhaps the best known verse in all of the Bible, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Whatever else that verse says, and it says a lot, it reminds us that God's heart is for the world. In 1792, a Baptist preacher in England, young Baptist preacher in England, had the world on his heart. And he wrote a book, the title of which probably would not sell a lot today. It was called An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. But uh, William Carey had the world on his heart. And as he prayed every day, he had a, a map of the world. And he prayed for places he had never been before. But eventually God used his praying and this map of the world that he did in a systematic way and sent him to India. And you well know that William Carey is oftentimes called the father of modern missions today. But William Carey said one of the first and most important of those duties which are incumbent upon us is fervent united prayer. I don't know if you are familiar with or perhaps if you use the book called Operation World, which is now, I think, in its seventh edition, but Patrick Johnstone first printed it in 1974 and lists every country in the world from Afghanistan to Zimbabwe. And in one year's time, you can read about and pray for particular needs and particular uh, people in every country of the world. I, I highly recommend it. We serve a God who has the world on his heart and wherever we serve and whatever we do, God reminds us that the church's mission is global. It has always been and will always be. It's not local or global, but it's, it's both. It's both local and around the world. I serve in a small group of churches, about 70 churches. Uh, we call ourselves the International Baptist Convention. It's a family of English-speaking churches that are made up of uh, international people who are serving as business people, perhaps military people, uh, refugees, uh, diplomats, students. And of course, in all of our churches, we also have local people. We met not too long ago and it reminded me of what an opportunity we have to touch the world as internationals are coming into our cities and coming into our churches, literally at our doorstep. And yet, our churches, like churches around the world, can also have problems that confound and contradict the very gospel that we proclaim. Problems can become so severe that what ought to be the greatest witness of a church, its people, can sometimes become the greatest liability to the Lord's work. And even in the best of churches, we must deal with conflict, differing opinions, misunderstandings, and many other challenges. Life and ministry present us both with opportunities and obstacles that we shouldn't overestimate and we shouldn't underestimate. We should deal with them. 
Otherwise, a leader can despair of all of the challenges that, uh, that weigh upon him. And, or he can set himself up for future disappointment by ignoring those challenges and those opportunities. Our vision for the future must also embrace both opportunities and obstacles if it's going to be realistic, if it's going to be transformational, and if it's going to honor the Lord. So our text this, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. It's the end of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, and I believe they are honest and a clear expression of both Paul's hopes and his fears, both in his life and his ministry. Because of time, I just want to read one verse, but uh, the context of that, that passage uh, perhaps you'll want to refer to a little bit later. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians and verse 9, Paul says, A great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Paul concludes his letter to the Corinthians with some personal words and plans, basically travel plans. But they are tentative travel plans. And with Paul, we should not be surprised at that. The Christian way is described in the Bible as a way, a journey, a road, a walk, and a race. Jesus' call to his disciples was, follow me. As I said in the class before, we cannot follow Christ and remain where we are. He's always calling us to new places. This was true with Paul. It's true for us. Sometimes that means that physically God moves us in places. But for all of us, as Jesus reminds us, it's a call to leave everything to follow him. I love my GPS. My wife and I travel a lot of places in Europe, and uh, as we've been here in the United States, uh, in a lot of places in Texas, we are happier travelers when our cheerful British voice leads us in travel. When Gretchen says that she is redirecting or reconfiguring our route with never uh, 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 trying to correct us, it's a charming way to travel and to get where you want to go. Even if you make a wrong turn at some point, she will tell you to turn around and how to get back. And usually the mistakes are not so bad that you can't correct the things you've done wrong. Paul is writing from Ephesus. And he tells us in the, in the 16th chapter that he plans to go to Corinth through Macedonia, uh, the land route. And then he plans to go on to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, he's going to send Timothy to Corinth to prepare for his coming. And also Apollos is mentioned who Paul had encouraged to go. He had Paul's full blessing, but he decided against going for some good reasons. You can read the background in Acts chapter 20 and uh, Acts chapter 19 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15, and you, fi you, you find that Paul seems to have done the opposite of what he planned to do. We read there that he made a quick trip to Corinth by sea. And then because of a crisis in the church, which seems to have taken two letters and a visit to correct, Paul ended up not doing what he had planned to do. 
I think we are wise to plan, but we are foolish to tattoo our plan on God's will for our life and assume that God is always going to lead us to do what we think He will lead us to do. You can read this passage of Scripture and you'll find hopeful uncertainty in Paul's words. He uses words like, perhaps I will do this, or I plan to do this if the Lord permits. In our text, though, he speaks about opportunities and obstacles for God's people. I want to mention to you several opportunities that I've experienced in my own ministry and working with international congregations. I don't believe they're unique to our congregations. Perhaps in some, in some cases they're a little bit more defined, but I believe they are opportunities that Paul faced and they are opportunities that we also faced. In verse 9, Paul gives this excellent summary of his lifelong experience as a minister and as a Christian follower. It was certainly his experience in Ephesus, as we read in Acts chapters 19 and 20. And it's also our experience. A great door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. And I want to suggest from the accounts that we have in Acts, we'll not read them, but I want to refer to them, that in international churches and perhaps all churches share a lot of the opportunities for advancing the gospel that Paul the Apostle had. And I want to just mention a few of those. First, the first I would mention is global outreach at our doorstep. During Paul's ministry in Ephesus, it's recorded that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Ephesus was a gateway city, and Paul took the opportunities as people passed through Ephesus to share the gospel with those people. Fundamental to our church planting efforts and indeed our vision of reaching the nations is taking advantage of opportunities to impact people from around the world who come into our communities. International churches and others have a unique opportunity to share the gospel as people are coming from the ends of the earth and they are leaving to go to the ends of the earth. Some will come and hear if we will go and tell. Our pastor in Sofia, Bulgaria, the international church that's part of our family of churches, had the opportunity to share the gospel with an Iranian family, a father and two sons, who were open to hearing it. Uh, perhaps they wouldn't have been in their own country, but they had fled as political refugees and he shared the gospel with them and they made a decision to follow Christ and their lives were transformed and they had a desire to share the gospel with all of their uh, Farsi speaking neighbors and so every week they would translate the pastor's sermon uh, into Farsi and they would hand it out to all of the people who would come to the international church's uh, worship service and after a while uh, many of the Iranians who were flooding into Bulgaria at the time came to know Christ but when the flood started to recede, they moved down to Athens because people were now coming into Athens. And in the space of just a year, they led and baptized a hundred Iranians to Christ, all because of this initial witness that this pastor had given as these people were passing through, trying to escape something, and their ministry continues. We have an opportunity to do global outreach right at our doorstep. There's a second opportunity, and that is 
what I call international discipleship on the run. As, I, as uh, Dean Garland mentioned, in most of our churches, whether they're military or international congregations, congregations are changing constantly. It is indeed like pastoring a parade. Paul spent three years in Ephesus, about three years, and in the end he would tell the Ephesian elders, you will never see me again. And then he committed these faithful men and he went about, went on to Jerusalem and the Lord carried his work on through those men that Paul had discipled. As you know, Jesus also had about three years to share and train his disciples and then commission them to carry on his work. And although it varies somewhat, at least in most of the churches that uh, are part of our family of churches, we have about two to three years to disciple members before they move on to other locations. So I've encouraged our churches to ask the question, what can we do given the three, two to three years that we have to make disciples of people that God brings to us so that when they leave, they not only know how to, to grow themselves, but how to help others to grow in the Christian faith. Perhaps a good indicator of the effectiveness of a church may not be how many are attending on a Sunday morning, but how many people are growing and ministering and helping others to grow. I remember a man in our church who was a Ph.D. student uh, in, in robotics in, in Kaiserslautern where I was pastoring, and he was from Uganda. And we were able to disciple uh, Andrew in a lot of ways, and then he moved back to Uganda. But because of what he had uh, learned, he was able to use his influence as a professor in a major university in that, sit in that country to disciple and share the gospel with others. We have this opportunity of international discipleship on the run. We also have an opportunity for what I call incarnational ministry that transforms. Paul's legacy to the Ephesians was that he finished the race and he completed the task that the Lord Jesus had given to him. And Paul did it by his life and by his words. He was a faithful servant. And he could indeed say, follow me as I follow Christ. And when Paul left, the Ephesian church had a good example of what it means to follow Christ in a pagan society. We too have an opportunity to demonstrate to a lost world a better way, the best way, God's way, as we live our lives. What kind of Christ are our churches and what kind of Christ are we presenting to our communities? Is the warmth on the inside warmer than the cold on the outside? I've been challenged by a young Ghanaian man who serves as a pastor of one of our churches in Lisbon, Portugal. And Joseph has had an extremely difficult time himself coming as a refugee, having to take any kind of job that was available. Just this past year, Joseph lost his mother he lost a daughter, he lost his job, he lost his apartment, and yet Joseph remained true to the gospel. And he demonstrated to his church members, we are here to follow Christ. We are Christ's disciples. Christ is to change us, whatever the circumstances may be. He incarnated the life of Christ for his members and in his community. There's a fourth opportunity that I think we have 
I look at it particularly in international churches, but I think it's true for all, and that is genuine fellowship restored. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians speaks of Christ as the barrier breaker between Jews and Greeks. God's purpose, Paul says, was to create one new man out of the two. Churches have an opportunity to build bridges of friendship with others that lead people to find the friend who died to break down barriers of hostility and prejudice. Ours is a gospel of reconciliation. And if we have been reconciled to God, we above all else should hear the call of God to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Some time ago I was preaching in a church in Sella, Germany. And after the service, I began talking with one of the men who was there for the worship service. My friend who was the pastor of the church was a retired U.S. Army officer. He had fought in Desert Storm in the early 90s. As I talked to this uh, other man in the church who came by, I found out that he was from Iraq. And he told me that he had been an army officer in the Iraqi army. And he too had fought in Desert Storm. And it occurred to me what a, a strange thing that a, a pastor and a member of his church were probably 10 years or 12 years before shooting bullets at each other. And yet because of the gospel, they were brothers in Christ, worshiping in the same place. God had broken down these man-made barriers that had been built up. Genuine fellowship restored. It's the call of the church. And finally, heavenly worship previewed on earth. God's purpose in breaking down the wall of hostility, Paul tells us, is to build a holy temple. Paul would say, in Ephesians 2, God's people are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. We, the members of Christ's body, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 3, when Paul says that not to, uh, don't you know that you're, you're, you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you, he was not speaking of our physical bodies, but Christ's body, the church. And he was saying that all of us together, the collective body of Christ, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So churches have a unique opportunity to express global worship as people from around the world, red and yellow, black and white, gather as one body to worship the Lord together. And it's a preview of the day when people from every tribe and every language and people from every nation will gather to declare worthy is the Lamb. Bruce Milner, who was a pastor of an international church in Vancouver, Canada, wrote a book, excellent book called Dynamic Diversity. And he begins by talking about a wave of worship that begins every Sunday in the easternmost parts of the globe. And that wave then begins to move westward as people from all over the world give praise to the Lord. And even greater than that, it's not just what we do today, but there are generations since, since the time of Christ that are worshiping the Lord with us, those who've gone before. A lady in Bucharest, Romania, who was a Romanian, said, every time we worship and I look around at all of the nations represented in our church, I can't help but think that this is 
going to be what heaven will be like. This is what heaven will be like. Worthy is the Lamb. Why must we wait until heaven to join together as all races and all nationalities to give praise to the Lord? What an opportunity we have as churches. But we also face obstacles just like Paul did. I'll not deal with them in detail, but Paul mentions at least, or Paul faced at least three kinds of obstacles as he ministered in Ephesus. Paul would tell the Corinthians, I fought with wild beasts. Paul faced obstacles even as he faced opportunities, and so do we. For Paul, he faced demonic obstacles. In Acts chapter 19, we read about these seven sons of Sceva who tried to mimic Paul's ministry but were overpowered by a man who had an evil spirit. And the spirit within the man said, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Paul knew about evil spirits, and they knew about him. He recognized the enemy of the gospel. And he would tell the Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood, and that our enemy seeks to devour, deceive, and destroy us. We are in a battle, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6. He faced the battle from the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy. Paul also faced economic obstacles. When you read the story of Paul's ministry in Ephesus in Acts 19, as he ministered there, we're told about Demetrius the silversmith who saw that the gospel was bad for the economy, for his business of making idols that were used in the worship of the patron goddess of Ephesus, Artemis, or Diana. And eventually a mob ensued in the city theater. Following Christ can be bad for business. And in times of economic distress such as we are living in, people indicate by the way they are spending their income what is most important. We worship what is most important to us. Following Christ costs us, sometimes economically. Paul also faced religious obstacles. We read in Acts 20 that uh, these, the religious people there in Ephesus sought to destroy Paul's work. They resisted all change. They clung to traditions over against God's word. And the wolves that Paul spoke about, were the, he warned the Ephesian elders, were false teachers who would seek to destroy what God had built up. Churches regularly face the opposition of well-meaning people who refuse to consider anything different from what they've experienced. Many of our churches are in places where there is a strong national church that at one time had been true to the gospel, but oftentimes they resent and reject anybody that comes from any other type of, uh, of, of preaching and, and theology. Religion without a relationship is deadly. And it either leads to spiritual pride or it leads to hopelessness. Paul concludes this passage that I referred to in Acts 16. And I'll just leave you with his words that he spoke of in verse 13. When he told them how to seize the opportunities they had and overcome the obstacles that they had. He said five things. He said first of all stay alert or be on your guard. It's so easy for us to miss the obstacles or the opportunities that we are facing by not staying alert. 
We can miss opportunities for evangelism and discipleship and ministry and fellowship and worship unless we stay alert. Paul also said serve faithfully. You don't spend very much time in the ministry until you have times when you want to quit, when you want to leave the field of battle and quit the fight of faith. But Paul tells these believers, stand firm. God has given us his promises, his word, his Holy Spirit and one another. And we need the encouragement of one another to keep on in what we're doing. Thirdly, Paul says, be men of courage. Show courage. Stand up for God's word and God's way, God's work, especially in the face of adversity. Paul tells these believers to show courage. It takes courage to follow Jesus Christ in the field of battle. Then he tells them to be strong in the word of God. God is the one who is our strength and he will help us to stand. Paul's own testimony was that when he was at his weakest point, then the, the Lord made him his strongest. And finally, Paul sort of summarizes it all when he says to love fully. He says do everything in love. And this is the crux of our relationships with one another. Do everything in love. It reminds us that it is never right to be unloving. Think of the many problems in the Corinthian church. The quarrels, the abuse of members, the hostility toward Paul himself. Marriage challenges, abuse of spiritual gifts, abuse of worship and everything. And yet Paul says... Do everything in love. Genuine love given to us and experienced by us is the key to correcting problems and also preventing them. I don't know what opportunities and obstacles you face today, but we have open doors that we should walk through. And by God's grace and with his strength and guidance, we can do what he has called us to do. And we can be what he has called us to be. He is worthy of our very best. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord, I pray that you will take your word and the same spirit who inspired your word would touch our hearts and prompt us to not just be hearers, but to be doers of the word. In Christ's name.